Hello and welcome to the Startups Roundtable. I'd like to start with an acknowledgement of country. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet. Here in Sydney, it's the Gadigal people. We pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging and extend our respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. Hello and welcome to the Startups Roundtable. I'm your host, Tony Hackett. Today I'm joined by Jimmy Zong, who is the CEO and founder at Syncio, where their mission is to take commerce to its next stage, to collaborative commerce. This is Jimmy's third startup, and he shares experiences and reflections from his founder's journey. In addition, he takes us inside Syncio and shares on-the-ground realities, especially as we are living through our life and work adjustments of this COVID era. So let's get to it and meet Jimmy. I am Jimmy. I am the CEO and founder of Syncio, which is a collaborative commerce platform that makes it really easy for different online businesses wanting to work with each other and sell each other's products. So if you're a retailer wanting to sell a particular brand's inventory or products, you can use Syncio to sync the brand's inventory across with a click. And then once it's synced across onto your shop front to sell, the inventory, the product information is all real-time synced. And when customers uh, place an order for that product, that order goes back to the brand automatically for them to fulfill. So we automate all of that, save heaps of time for each of those businesses. And essentially, the aim is to help these businesses grow together. So that's what I'm currently doing now. So, Jimmy, what was the trigger that took you from seeing this was an opportunity or a need to the point of actually starting your own startup to produce your own product, service, go to market? Yeah, I mean, thinking about it from from the, like a trigger perspective, it's kind of crazy to reflect. If I think about it, it's really actually a continuation of my two previous startups. This is basically a natural evolution of my previous startups. So what Syncio was doing for us originally was to solve our own problem. Both my other startups were marketplaces the first one we tried to build ourselves and we bit off more than we could chew. But one thing that we did get right was to build an integration to the Shopify platform, um, enabling a lot of our brands that use Shopify for their direct-to-consumer websites to basically connect to our marketplace and, and, and sync their products onto the marketplace. Then we pivoted to the second startup, which um, was also a marketplace, but We'd taken our learnings from trying to build our own platform to basically borrowing Shopify's platform. They'd already set up basically everything. The only thing that they didn't have is basically a, a marketplace backend. But the good thing is we, we've already built this integration to other Shopify stores. So we used that integration to all these brands that, that wanted to sell on our marketplace. And it was actually the brands that gave us the idea to push Syncure out publicly turns out that they have the same problem working with other retailers and other marketplaces and they'd loved the experience with our marketplace purely on like just the automation side so they were just constantly hassling me until i decided to say yep okay fine i'll push it in the app store and you, you guys can use it for yourselves and see what happens that's a pretty powerful place to start does it mean that your view of who you thought your audience was changed from the very first moment to maybe where you are now? Yeah, it did change in the sense that we went from, so our, like our marketplaces 
were focused on a very specific audience. So my first startup, Kagu, was focused on helping independent designer labels sell. And then the second one was around, we're focusing on ethical and sustainable fashion brands sell. So very specific. But once we launched Syncio, we essentially didn't really have control over who or which businesses would install us. And so now it's just a complete spectrum of from... You know, we still have a very strong ethical and sustainable brand kind of like user base. But then we've got brands that are selling like electronics and books and all sorts of things. Has the the life that we're living through right now made a change to how you're viewing your roadmap? So that COVID, we're getting close to a year that, that we've been living with this. Yeah, COVID has been... I mean, I mean, just everyday life has has changed now. But from from a Syncure perspective, you know, we're lucky that we're in a sector that has benefited from from COVID, just purely because businesses are all forced to sell digitally and sell online. And so, from end of March onwards, it's been absolutely crazy. From a roadmap perspective, it's probably reinforced what we we had already planned to do, just in a more accelerated time frame. Because everything is just, yeah, like if you hear lots of the news, they're saying it's like three to five years accelerated in that one year. So we've seen that like more and more small businesses going online where originally they may have existed just through like a bricks and mortar store. There's a lot more focus on helping these small brands and helping them have an e-commerce presence. But then also how do you create that community or how do you create that collaborative effect online? Because they used to have it physically, whether it's in Smith Street or Chapel Street, like now how do you create that online? So we're seeing that and I feel like we have a, a good place to be or good good role to, to play in that. You've actually just touched on something that, that I find in my role in a business development role with a tech company and the whole challenge around creating new contacts and new pipeline where to do that face-to-face, it had its own challenges as well, but it was, I'm going to say easier, and I'm using the word easier very advisedly there, but to be able to create brand new contacts when it's 100% online, that's a different level of, of difficulty and complexity. I'm expecting that references and customer satisfaction play enormously into what you're doing and how you grow your business. Could you maybe speak a little bit to that and how you manage it and communicate around customer set? Customer satisfaction from the consumer to the the brand or customer satisfaction within Syncure? Customer to you. I mean, we, we, you know, we're, we're digital first, so we don't have like a physical presence. So how do we talk to customers? It's what's happening now with everyone for Zoom and our live chat and all that kind of stuff. But particularly with Zoom and video calls, we try and really focus on making that available, even though our price point may not warrant that, like it's not quite feasible to charge $19 a month, but we have a one hour call with with a customer that's on a trial or something, right? But I feel like that's really, really important for us to, to have that presence. We have a real strong focus on customer support because they are essentially our first point of contact if a customer needs to talk to someone a real person. That's just the customer facing side. But actually, what is the real customer facing side for Sinka is our product itself. Building a product that actually doesn't, doesn't, I guess, like force our customer to need to talk to someone, that it's easy enough for them to self-service and get what they need without spending much time is the best customer satisfaction 
kind of experience that we're trying to go for. So brilliant product, but if they need help, we're always there and we're willing to put a face to the product. That's a really key point, the business about being able to close down the, the question rapidly. It doesn't matter which channel the, the customer comes through. One thing that I am curious about is how you bring your innovation to the marketplace. Do you think about it in terms of experimentation or do you think about it in different terms and different language? Innovation is for us, yeah, just a series of experiments, many, many failed experiments. It's basically trying to form a hypothesis and then that may be just with like an idea internally or, uh, but we, you know, we're very fortunate that a lot of these ideas come from the customers themselves. When we first launched, you know, we've been really lucky to, to have customers that are more than happy to, to chat to us and talk to us and throw ideas to us. And then that still goes through what we we would call mini tests. So we'd formulate that idea a little bit more and then maybe push out some features to select users and then see what happens and then see whether that's actually something that the entire user population wants to have. And then will they actually pay for it as well? When you start to then attract more and more customers, you need more and more people in your team. This isn't your first startup. So what have been some of the learnings that you could share around recruiting and how you go and plan to build out your team and then go and execute upon building out that team? Yeah, it's extremely topical for me currently. Like we, we've grown from a team of three to nine this last year. And, you know, we're hiring now again and probably will double again this year, if not more. So it's a big change for me. Team of three, we're just doing everything and very scrappy. And it was quite easy and hard at the same time. Now I physically cannot do everything and I actually need help. And so you hire people to do it, to do that or a previous role that I was doing, but, but do it even better. That has essentially changed the job that I had with Syncure. And a lot more of that is creating the right culture, leadership management, but recruiting as well. Recruiting is huge. So as we kind of try and navigate from a team of nine to 20 or 20 plus, there's a lot of things that probably don't know until I get there. So for example, only the last few months have I realized how important testing is. <laughs> so I know in my team roadmap, I probably need to hire a, like a, a basically full-time QA testing role. Same with architecture, making sure that we scale and product can hold up to, say we have, we have like tripled or like 5X or 10X their user base. How does, how does real-time syncing work then? Those are the things. So like basically with a product focus, looking at our product roadmap and then seeing, okay, if, we, if we're trying to double our user base by the end of 2021, and then looking at the, what we're trying to achieve on a ro product roadmap point of view, who are the people that we need and who are, who are the people that are missing right now that we need to hire for? So that's just a high level of like who we, would, we need. It's, it's a great explanation too. And also to know that that's something you're, I won't say wrestling with right now, but you're facing in, in the real time. I find that very interesting too, and that to double, doesn't matter what the number is when you're doubling it, that's a huge, huge jump. One thing that is uh, interesting in what you spoke about there as well is building people in, and as you talk about testing, for example, in QA, I was picturing a spreadsheet that you'll have somewhere that shows cost increasing without necessarily the product itself changing, and then there becomes this continual climb of investing for growing the product, making it better, but also being able to bring the revenue up to stay ahead of that or to meet that investment. How do you go about doing your business in development? Is there 
any one thing that you would say you've learned over the last year that you would share with someone? 100%, Tony. I mean, that is what we're going through now. Like as our product becomes more and more sophisticated and more and more users on it, our, our costs are going a bit higher. But I mean, there's this cost, but then there's a time component as well, where once upon a time, we're able to basically have me and I could just like be the end user. I could do end-to-end testing, say within like two hours. Now it's blown out to six plus hours and it's like, and I'll miss lots and lots of things. It's a full-time role. So how do we make sure that we can, our business model can, business model will have to evolve to, you know, whatever the situation has evolved to. So the last 12 months, we're lucky we're not lucky from a business unit economics point of view. Our metrics are very, very strong. So it has held up fairly well over the last 12 months without without me needing to tinker with it too much. Though having said that, you know, we are getting to a point where the running costs, the maintenance costs, server costs are starting to, to be much higher than it was 12 months ago. So looking at what is what is strategically most important to us in terms of do we want to continue to, to focus on really strong um, unit economics so that if the costs go higher, then our margin can be protected through a better product offering that can command a better price? Or do we focus on not you know, worrying too much about the margin, but increasing volume? So if we're trying to 2x with a better margin, then maybe we need to 3x our user or customer base and basically just sacrifice a bit of margin, but your top line revenue still is enough to sustain our business. And then there's other things like you can, I mean, with startups, that's that's one of the one business type that can hack your way through and you don't have to be profitable. You can basically get investment and inject a lot of capital and then just grow until like it's, it's not too bad. You make it sound uh, quite matter of fact in a way. I don't mean that to say it was a blase answer, but it's like, like here are the things that just need to get done and you just need to sequence it up and, and do that. And I, I picture a whole lot of weight on your shoulders. How do you go and find people outside of your business to be able to get that advice from? And what advice would you give to others around finding mentors and coaches? Entrepreneurism is a quite a lonely, lonely place to be, especially with tech startups. Fortunately, the, the ecosystem has grown quite a lot since I started. I began my journey about five, six years ago. We went through Melbourne Accelerator Program in 2018 and Startmate in 2019. And I would say that simply being part of those two families have meant that my network has grown dramatically compared to pre-accelerator programs. So both programs have a very mentor-driven focus. And the, the advice that I've got and, and the relationships that I've developed through those have been priceless helping me from recruiting like people happy to like be part of the interview process to yeah just like strategic questions or or, or things that they would have feedback on Sinker that i may not have thought about but could potentially be devastating or fatal to the business one thing that I'm always wondering about is how people go about making decisions from when you started Syncio to where you are now. Has your decision-making process changed? I've got a part B that I'll, I'll seed in as well, and that is in that decision-making process, how do you work out what not to do and to prioritize? Yeah, decision-making is, as a 
Very good question. It's it's kind of interesting because I, I sometimes reflect on how my decision making has evolved. And I feel like when I first started, it was well, I guess like the, the very first decision I had to make was do I quit my job and then do this startup? So that was as much as I, I, I try and be evidence-based and objective, it was fundamentally the most influential part of that my decision making was intuition <laughs> or gut. But then when I got into my startups, then I became a lot more evidence-based and, as you said, you know, experimental, making smaller bets because I don't really know whether that decision would be realized. And so like making ex- lots and lots of experiments and then letting the market or the environment tell me is, 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 a, is for me, a very good way to, to see whether these decisions would work. And then, yeah, you know, if it's, if it's giving me traction or giving me some validation, then I keep focusing on that. And then the other ones I don't, I just drop. But as time has gone by and to this point in time, I feel like I'm leaning into my intuition a little bit more. Maybe it's just, just a body of experience now and I've, I can kind of feel it a bit better, like what, where to go. That's a cracking answer, actually. I've often wondered with myself and with people I work with and people I speak with, that whole balance of data and intuition, because there is so much data and it could be argued that there's, if there's such a thing as too much data, there could be argued that there's too much data. And at some point you've got to say, I've got enough there to make a decision and this is my decision. And that's, I think that's an interesting collection of thoughts that you've just shared and experiences you've just shared. Jimmy, we've touched on some really great points here and to hear the Synchio story has been tremendous. I appreciate you taking the time. I'd love to stay in touch and to get an update from you in the future, but appreciate you joining me today. No worries, Tony. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for joining me today. It was great to meet Jimmy and hear of the great work that he and the Synchio team are doing. Feedback is always appreciated. Thanks for listening and bye for now.